So you're following along so far? All right. So go ahead and open up your outline. Today we are going to talk about boundaries. We started a series last week um, called Questions. A few months ago, I asked uh, if you had questions to ask me, if there were anything, any topics and so forth that you would like to have me address during the summer season. Several of you filled out uh, in, uh, emails and so forth. And so we began to build messages around that. Last week we talked about dealing with conflict and uh, uh, reconciling, how do you reconcile and so forth. Today we're going to talk about boundaries. So let me just kind of set the stage for it. And this is kind of a heady one, so i got to make sure, is everyone awake? You guys are all alert? Yeah? All right. It, by the way, you guys are the best looking crowd I've talked to all day today, so that's good. And, and the most alert ones, so... Um, so here's, here's boundaries, here's where we, we, we have trouble um, in our Christian walk. Last week I said this, that many Christ followers have difficulties with confrontation. We don't like confrontation. Some of you love confrontation, we'll talk about you today. But, but most of us, we don't like confrontation, we don't want to go out of our way to get in an argument and all that kind of stuff, right? So we wrestle with that, we dealt with that last week. Today we, we deal with with helping people. Where is the line between helping someone and hurting someone? Where is the line where I'm really reaching out and giving them the hand up, the hand along to kind of come alongside of them and where we're enabling them to continue to make poor, poor choices, poor decisions in their life and, and ruining their life? Where's that line? Well, my experience has been in working with believers, because that's my job primarily, right, is the line is always blurred. And it seems to be a difficult line to see clearly, and we wrestle with it. We want to help because that's kind of what Jesus' teaching is, right? If someone asks for your shirt, give them the cloak. If they say go one mile, go another mile. If someone harms you, turn the other cheek, right? We all know the teachings of Christ, and we want to follow that, but where is the line where we're hurting someone and we're helping them? How do we determine where it's at? All right. So let me go through and I'm going to build my case and then at the end we'll, we'll tie it all together. So if you will, if you'll open up your program inside, you'll find an outline called Healthy Boundaries. And let's look at a, a, a verse and we're going to come back to this verse toward the end. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23 says this. Above all else, what's the word? Guard, okay? And I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So what is your heart? Your heart isn't the thing that beats inside your chest. That's, at least that's not what the proverb writer is saying. But, but your heart is, your heart is, it is, in your outline, one, your heart is your, the inner person, your core values, your emotions, your thoughts, and your decisions. Okay? So we're tracking so far. All right. So this is a little backpack, little knapsack, right? And so when we go on vacation and when the kids were smaller and we'd go to Disneyland, we'd fill this up with all kinds of kind of daily fun things, right? Crackers, cookies, right? All that kind of stuff. And we'd fill it up and dad would put it around and we'd carry, carry it around the park or wherever we were at. And it was kind of how we would live for that particular day. 
All right? So I want you to imagine that the backpack is your heart. Okay? And in this backpack, in your heart, is where you're placing it's the inner person, it's the core values, it's the principles, it's your convictions, it's your thoughts, it's your emotions. They are placed in here, and every day you wake up, you put it on, and you carry it on throughout your day. Okay? So we're tracking so far. Okay? So the proverb writer says, above all else, above all else, guard what's in here. Make sure that no one stomps on your values, your emotions, your core values, your principles. No one, no one tramples on those. Because if, it, if someone does, then you're going to feel tension in your life. Okay? You're going to feel like someone has grabbed this handle, and you're grabbing this handle, and there's this tug-of-war that's taking place. Because your heart is being trampled because your emotions, your values, your principles of life are being trampled, okay? So, we got that so, we'll come back to the backpack. In a little while, I'll pull out, and we have fishies in there for everyone, right? <laughs> Problem is, they're from 1991, when we went to Disneyland. Number two, the second thing is this, that God design, has a design for healthy relationships, all right? So, it's not enough just to say, hey, have healthy relationships, God gives us a model for us to follow, all right? And in that, there are two key components in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The first one is grace, all right? Can you all say grace? Grace, all right? So 1 Peter says this, chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another, faithfully administrating God's grace in various forms, right? So, so there is grace that we receive from God. Okay, so track along here with me, all right? So we have in that relationship with God, what is grace? And I don't want to get into a long theological term on it, and I don't want to go deep into the weeds, but let's just say this, that grace is God is for you, okay? Grace is God is on your side. Grace is there's nothing you can do for God to love you more, and the good news is, grace is there's nothing you can screw up for God to love you less. Okay? So that is grace. So we have grace from a sense of vertically, in our relationship with God, God is for us, He's not against us, He's on our side, there's nothing we can do for Him to love us more, He loves us unconditionally, He, he loves us, if we screw up, His love still pursues us. Okay, that is a healthy relationship. But there's also grace, and this is what Peter's talking about here. There's also grace that's horizontal. We are to take the grace that God gives us, and we are to be stewards of it, and we are to dispense it horizontally out in relationships with other people. Okay, are we tracking? So, in here he says that we are to be faithful administrating God's grace. So we are to make sure that we're in healthy relationships. We're for the person. We're not condemning them, and don't you know? We'll get. Don't worry. We'll get the truth in a second. We're not condemning them. The relationship is safe. The relationship is there where you're not ready to grab them by the collar and throw them under the bus. Okay. You love them unconditionally. You love them the way your heavenly Father loves you. All right. Healthy relationships have a large dose of grace. The second component in there 
is true. In our relationship with God, we have grace, nothing we could do to make Him love us more, nothing we could do to screw it up. All right? He's for us, but there's also an element of truth. What is truth? Truth is what's real. Gravity is truth. If we all climbed up on the edge of the building and jumped, we would all experience gravity. That is a truth, right? So in a healthy relationship, we need to have an element of truth as well. In Ephesians, it says, instead, speak the truth in, in love, right? And so we are to speak the truth in love. So there is grace that we are to dispense or we are to be stewards of, that we are to give out in our relationships with other people. We're for them. We're not against them. We're pulling for them. We want them to do great. Our love is unconditional. But there's also the component of truth. And when we uh, speak truth, we speak to them in love into their life. All right? That is a picture of a healthy relationship. Look with me in number three. Number three is healthy relationships include grace, right? That provides safety. And if you have a relationship with a person where maybe you've screwed up big time, you've gone to them and they just come alongside of you, they encourage you to confess, they encourage you to get right spiritually, but they love you, they're for you, you understand that that is a safe relationship and in that relationship, a person will thrive. Are are we following so far? All right, and then truth, truth is a part of the relationship that builds in structure into the relationship, all right? So great, it isn't just like, hey, yeah, do whatever you want to do, man, it's all good. Truth is, hey, if you continue to make these choices financially, if you continue to, you know, drink and do the drugs or, you know, work your way that you're doing at your job, you're speaking truth into their life. You're not going to have the job. Your marriage isn't going to work, you know, whatever the case may be. But you're speaking truth. You're bringing structure into it. You speak to them in love. You're for them. You're not condemning them, okay? So a healthy relationship has those two components, grace and truth, safety and structure. Are we following Okay, number, uh, number four. So let's look at some common components or elements of unhealthy people. Because this, this is where your knapsack, your values, your principles, your emotions, where they grab one handle, you grab the other, and there's tension. And this is where many believers struggle with where's the line? Where is it where I'm helping? Where is it where I'm hurting? Do I continue? Do I let go? All right? And and so here's where some common traits of unhealthy people. First one is they are out of control. Okay? So if you evaluate the person that you have in mind when it comes to boundaries, if that person's life is out of control, you're going to have a very difficult time having a healthy relationship. And the reason why is because they will love grace. I'm for you. I'm not against you. They will despise structure or truth. Okay? Are we following? They will love for you to say, honey, don't worry. It'll get better. They will have a big problem with you saying, you need to check into rehab. Okay? So this is where 
all of a sudden, the emotion and the tug begins to really stretch and cause difficulties. Now, Romans 13, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time reading it, but, but basically gives us a picture of a person's life who is out of control. And he you know, talks about orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, jealousy. I mean, it's just a picture of a person's life that is completely out of, con- out of control. In those types of people and those situations, they destroy relationships, they destroy their own life, they destroy their career, they destroy everything around them. And when you step back and you look at them without looking through the lenses of emotion, because that's what's going to get you into trouble, if you step back and look at it, you recognize, boy, there's just all kinds of broken stuff everywhere. Their life is out of control. Okay? It is, it is I, I'm not going to say impossible. I'm just going to say it, it is incredibly difficult to have a healthy relationship with a person whose life is out of control. Okay? The second one, and you, you look in your outline there. I'll go back and read it. What happens if you love that person? <clears throat> you will start taking responsibility. Okay? So the person's life who is out of control, if you are an enabler, you will take responsibility for their problems, their pain, their emotions, and if they're addicted, their addiction. Okay? So you will begin to cover for them. Right? And again, let me just say this, and you can just write it on the side. My experience is all this, if you are an enabler, all this is driven by emotion, not facts. Okay, it's all driven by emotion. Your emotion takes over and you don't see the facts for what they are. All right? The, thir- the second one is this, of an unhealthy person, is they are controlling. Now, what's interesting about these types of folks is... <clears throat> The truth is, they're out of control. Their goal is to try to be controlling. So it's, it's kind of humorous, and I don't mean in a, in, a hilarious, you know, in, a, in, a, in a jovial way, but they're out of control, yet they're trying to control everything and everybody in it. Right? So it's kind of a, it's a weird thing that they're, that they're doing. And so <clears throat> the out-of-control person, you, know, you recognize uh, just as kind of, out of control, their life centers around themselves, or very, you know, looking inside. The, the person who is controlling uh, t- typically uh, tries to control you with two, two key elements. One is anger. So if you don't do it my way, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to throw a fit. And so if you have a person like that in your life, you'll use phrases like this When I walk into the room, I walk in and I feel like I'm walking on eggshells because I'm not sure what's going to happen. Okay, that is a sign of a person who is out of control. And you don't know what you're getting when you walk in. And so they control with anger. They get mad. And in their anger, in the words that they use, they're trying to control you. Okay, the other part of that is they will try to control you with guilt. Okay, guilt. And guilt isn't, I'm getting mad when I'm not getting my way. Guilt is, I'm getting hurt when I don't get my way. Okay? So anger is, no, you can't use the car. I'm tired of this, right? That they explode. The one who controls with guilt is, well, you know, if you love me as much as you love my brother, you'd give me the car. And they play by guilt to try to control you to get their way. 
All right? So are we tracking so far? See a lot of notes going on, so that's good stuff. Right? So a person, the traits, just in a simplistic way, out of control person, and you have a controlling person. A healthy relationship, remember, is our, is our picture of God. There's grace, I'm for you, right? Grace, I'll forgive you. Grace, it's secure, right? There's safety in there, but there's also structure. No, you can't do that. No, that isn't honoring to God, right? So healthy relationships have grace and have truth. If you have a relationship with a person where you are not able to have grace going both ways, and truth going both ways, then you're going to have a difficult time having a healthy relationship with them. And typically what ends up happening is they'll take the grace, but they're not interested in the truth. Okay, They'll take a lot of the grace, but they're not interested in the truth. Number five, having a relationship with someone with either of these two personality traits is not healthy or balanced. And we all know that, and it's not good for you, and you know that, and nor is it what God intended for you to have. Okay? And so, we need boundaries. Now, what is boundaries? And I don't know if you know Henry Cloud's book, The Boundaries. There's boundaries for marriage, there's boundaries for kids. I mean, he has done a fabulous job. If you know nothing about boundaries, and you're sitting here today, and you're like, wow, you need to go home today. And you need to get on Amazon and you need to order. And I think it's Henry Cloud. And there's someone else who wrote it. Uh, but you, you need to get his stuff. Fabulous stuff. This is from his stuff. Okay, this isn't, wow, Pastor Dan's really smart. No, I'm really smart. And I know Henry Cloud's really smart. So I'm going to steal his stuff. All right, so that's how that works. All right, so what is boundaries in your outline? Number six. What are boundaries? <clears throat> It is, God, it, it is God's way of restoring balance. Okay, Think of boundaries as a property line around your house. All right, So, we all know what boundaries are in around our house. If you live in an older neighborhood, you go out onto the curb. You can do this today. You look about where the good neighbor fence is. If you go out on the curb, there's probably a score mark on the curb. In the old days, that's how they kind of set boundaries. So if you ever want to know if your neighbor's planting their stuff in your yard, all you have to do is go out to the curb, look at the score mark, kind of do one of these things, and you'll know. It's going to give you a rough idea of whether your good neighbor is planting his tree on your property and you're paying for the water, right? So you have an idea of where your boundaries are. Now, the truth is, no one knows, until you get a survey around, where the actual boundaries are. All right. Now, you may have a fence or something like that, uh, if you have uh, large pieces of property, they do different things to help you to understand that. So let's imagine this. Your next door neighbor has a plumbing problem. You look over in his yard and there is a big old mud puddle of water and it's just pouring out. Now, by the way, that's liquid gold in California, right? So, yeah, dump the gas down the drain, but don't get rid of that stuff. So it's boiling over, just pouring out, all right? So your neighbor comes over to you and says, hey, I got a plumbing problem. Fix it. Your reaction is, wait a minute. It's on your property. I'm not going to fix it. Now, you could do the Christian thing, right? You see your neighbor's yard boiling up. You could walk over and go, hey, if you want to fix it, I'd be happy to help you out. Just let me know when you want to do it. 
right? And maybe if you're a good neighbor, you go out there, you turn off this, his, his water for him, and you start digging, and you give a guy a hand because that's the kind of person that you are. But you're not obligated to fix it. It's not your responsibility. It's on his property. It's his problem. Now, you can fix it if you choose to, but it's not your responsibility. Even as a Christian, it's not your responsibility. You can do it because maybe the Spirit of God leads you to, but it's not your responsibility. Now, get this. Some of you will experience freedom today. Someone else's problem is not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. But how do you determine where I'm helping and where I'm hurting? How do I determine whether it's the Christ thing to do or not? How is it that the Bible teaches that we're to come alongside of people who are experiencing heartaches in their life and yet you, you, Pastor Dan, are saying it's not your problem. So let me share with you. Alright? <clears throat> Proverbs, back to Proverbs. Above all else, guard your knapsack. Because in your knapsack is your core values, your emotions, your principles. It's the inner being of who you are. Above all else, guard it. Don't allow someone to come in and grab a hold of it and start pulling on it because this is what's going to create tension in your life. Okay, When someone comes in and begins to steal or begins to pull away at your heart. So there are two key aspects to boundaries. Look with me in Galatians. That's number 7. Galatians chapter 1. And this will be crystal clear for all of us today. Verse 1, here's what it says. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore. Circle the word restore. You should restore him gently, by, uh, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Okay. So here, here it is. As believers in Jesus Christ, Paul writes and he says, if someone you love someone you care about, is caught in sin. Now, the the interesting thing in the Greek, it can mean two things. One, that you caught them in sin. Or two, that their sin has exposed them. Okay, we've all known people where their choices all of a sudden blow up, right? So regardless of how it was, they are caught in their sin. And he says that you who are spiritual are to restore them. That word means to mend a broken bone. Okay? You are to set the bone. You are to care for the bone. You are to secure the bone gently. Right? So as a believer in Christ, it is our obligation that if someone we care about is caught, either you see it, their sin exposes them, regardless, we are to go to them and we are to restore them Gently, we are to mend, we are to repair, we are to encourage them, we are to help them get back into the place that they need to be. Okay, so in your outline, we have to learn to confront in love. Remember, grace and truth, 
right? And then Jesus gives us a clear example of both grace and truth. And I don't want to read it all because we're running out of time. But the Pharisees and all that stuff, they bring a woman who's caught in adultery. They said, hey, according to the law of Moses, she should be killed. Jesus begins to talk, uh, uh, bends down, begins to write stuff down. He looks up and he says to them, hey, those who without sin throw the first stone. Everyone scatters, everyone leaves. And in verse uh, 10, he stands up and Jesus says to the woman, hey, where are they at? And they all had left. And look with me in verse, the last part of verse 11. She, uh, he, he says to her, Jesus says, declares to her, he says, go and leave your sin no more. There's no condemnation, but there is a call to truth there. There is grace and there is truth. Right? Grace, I'm not going to condemn you. Truth is, leave that lifestyle. Right? So when someone gets caught... In sin, we are to confront them in love with grace and truth. All right, are we tracking so far? All right, back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. Okay, just circle that phrase. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he, de- uh, he deceives himself. Verse 4. Each of you should test his own actions. Then he can test. Uh, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Verse five. For each one should carry his own load. That's a complicated verse, because at the very first part it says carry each other's burdens. In the last part of verse five it says carry your own load. So what exactly does that mean? Well, in your outline, carry each other's burdens means that you're carrying something for them that is crushing them. Okay? Now get this, because this will bring clarity into your life. It shows a picture of a person who's walking through life, and if you will, metaphorically speaking, out of the sky drops this huge boulder and it crushes them. Okay? We are to, as believers, we are to come alongside people who experience those types of experiences in life. So, like divorce. Sure, it could go both ways, but the fact is, it's devastating. There's all kinds of emotional issues involved in it. You know, there's all kinds of struggles that take place in it. As believers, we are to, for a season, we are to come alongside of them during that back-breaking, crushing experience. Maybe it's a health issue. The doctor calls up. Maybe it's the kids. Maybe the kids were fine, and then all of a sudden there's some emotional things that are taking place. And they're, they're, they're out of, you know, the, the parents are just beside themselves. We come alongside of them, and we carry their burden for them. Not permanently for a season. Okay? Are we following so far? So, as believers, someone loses someone, someone has a divorce, someone has a, a traumatic experience in their life. As believers, we are to come alongside of them and we are to carry their burden for them. Verse 5 says that they are to carry their own load. 
and their own load is their knapsack. They are to carry their own values, their own principles, their own emotions, their own daily substance uh, in life. They are to carry that. Here's the rub that most of us experience. Coming alongside of a person who's going through a divorce or going through an illness is simple. And all of us, I would say 99% of the times I've experienced with people, they never call me up and say, hey, my granddaughter's going through a divorce. Should I help her out? Because we recognize that there's something that's happened in that person's life. We need to come alongside of them and all is fine. Where we have struggles with is where their values, their emotions, their principles are not equal or not in line with yours. And you're having to give up your core values, your principles, your, your core convictions in order to help them. And that's where you got one handle and they got your other handle. And you're pulling your knapsack like this. And that is where the struggle comes. Okay, so let's just kind of get our mind around this. Someone goes through a traumatic experience. There's emotional issues. There's financial issues. There's, all, there's a mere, just a ton of issues. As believers, we are to come alongside of them. We are to carry it. Okay? We are to, we are to help them carry it for a time not permanently. If you are carrying their knapsack, you are enabling them and they need to carry their own load in their life. Okay? Are we following? Alright? So, so, here is the question that brings clarity to it. Number eight. Here's the question that we're, we ask ourselves, are we rescuing? Are we hurting? Are we, you know, what, what exactly are, are we doing? And here it is. Should they be doing it themselves? That will bring clarity to your situation. Am I helping? Am I hurting? Should I be rescuing? Should I not be rescuing? What should I be doing? The question that you ask yourself is, should they be doing it themselves? So let's just kind of get our mind around it. Let's take the divorce. Someone in your family goes through a divorce. Traumatic. There should be counseling involved. There needs to be a lot of restoration, all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong if you say, hey, I'm going to call a couple counselors. There's nothing wrong if they're still under your medical thing to look in your medical coverage to see if there's counseling involved and, and, and that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with doing a little bit of the work. But at some point, they need to take the initiative to set up the appointment. Right? If you if you're, have someone who's struggling with an addiction, there's nothing wrong with making sure that your insurance has some type of recovery uh, coverage in your medical blah, blah, blah. There's nothing wrong with reaching out and looking through that stuff. But they need to be taking the step to set up to go to a recovery program. They need to take the initiative to do that. Otherwise, you are carrying their knapsack in their life. 
And this is where, again, this is the tension. Most folks don't struggle with someone just got diagnosed with a horrible disease. Do I come alongside and help them? That's not where we rub. Most of the time, it's, it's the idea of their daily necessities, the things that they ought to be doing themselves, and we have taken leadership in their life. We have become, in many cases, maybe we are, we have become the parent, and we're in charge of their emotions, their values, their core values, and so forth. And when it conflicts with your core values, there's a huge stretch. There's tension that takes place in your life. Okay? So here's your homework. Ready for some homework? <clears throat> Letter A. You start your conversation from the position of love, grace. Right? Number Letter B. You say no when it's best to say no. And if you have to sell out on your values, they are ripping the handle right off your knapsack. Okay? And you are going to be in, you're going to be tormented inside. Letter C, and this is by far the most difficult of all of them. Allow the natural consequences to happen. Okay? And you know, let me just say this. Um, in when your kids are small, you know, some of you have preschoolers, if they eat too many M&Ms, it's, it's not good, you know, and you, they'll, you'll usually see the byproducts of too much M&Ms, right? And you clean it up, and mommy, I got a bellyache and all that kind of stuff, and you say, okay, and you know, usually then a few hours later, they're back at it, okay? When they're adults, and they're making destructive decisions, it's different. It doesn't necessarily heal in two hours. You can't give them Pepto-Bismol and all be good. You look at their life and it breaks your heart. And this is by far the most difficult one. And you want to, and this is what I say, where it's emotionally driven, you want to run and grab their knapsack and take it from them. And when you do, you are enabling them. And the chances of them getting well is much smaller than if you allow them to figure out their own knapsack and what's going on in their life. Do you come alongside of them? Absolutely. Do you have grace and truth in that relationship? Absolutely, as long as they're respecting grace and truth. Okay? We tracking? And there's Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 goes on. It says, do not deceive yourself. God cannot be mocked. Mocked, a man reaps what he sows. Letter D, and this may be breaking news to all of you. Jesus is the Savior, not you. We did not come to worship you today. Alright? I know you wanted us to, but it's just not going to happen. Alright? It's not going to happen. It is... The Lord who is in control and it is the Lord who provides and it is the Lord who takes care of us on a daily basis. Okay? So, just to kind of recap real quickly. If someone is hurting and someone goes through a back-breaking experience in their life, do we come alongside of them? Absolutely. 
Okay, absolutely. But do we carry their daily knapsack? No. They've got to carry it on their own or else you will continue to enable them. Now let me just throw out, this is bonus points for those of you who don't want to leave. So here we go. All right? And this, is, this should, should have made the bulletin, but with VBS and all that kind of stuff, I got lost in today, the little crazy week. You evaluate their actions and you pay no attention to their words. Okay? You evaluate their actions and you pay no attention to their words. Because their words are meaningless unless it's backed by actions. We got that? And again, I mean, think about it. When you look through the lenses of emotion, you just want to hear those words, right? You want to hear those words. It's like calling a person who has an addiction at like two in the afternoon and you say, hey, are you drunk? If you, unless they are and they, they don't answer the phone, if you think they're going to answer you honestly, you are the biggest fool who's ever walked this earth. They're going to tell you only what you want to hear. Right? Some of you are like, really? Yes, really. All right, so that is today. All right, so you can process it. If you have questions through the week, you want to give me a call, I'd be happy to sit down and kind of help you through it. Let me just throw this out and we'll get ready to close here. Next week, we're going to deal with another big issue in our culture, and that is the area of blended families. Okay, blended families. And I get this question asked often, and several of you asked, how do we kind of make it work? Where are the boundaries with raising his kids and her kids? And how do we do all this stuff? Now, here's some statistics. Some of you are sitting around here and you're like, oh, how does that affect? 42% of all marriages okay, in America have a step something in the mix. 42%. All right? So, one guy said this. There is... Nearly no family in America today that isn't directly um, experiencing someone, it's a sibling or a parent or something, who has a step something in the mix. So in 1960, it was less than 13%. Okay? Today, it's the way that it is. All right. Now you can say it's not fair and it's not right and all. Okay, fine. Keep that argument for yourself. The reality is, I function from. Here's what's happening in our world. What does God have to say about it? Okay. You can talk about the woulda, coulda, shoulda, and if Elvis wasn't born and all this other stuff. Great. I mean, let me know how it's working for you. And actually, don't let me know how it's working for you because I really don't care to discuss it. I, I deal with the here and now and the reality. All right. So we'll look at that next week. So if you have folks who are struggling with blended families, please you know, bring them in. And let me just say this. It usually takes five to seven years for a blended family to get the groove. Most blended families last less than three years. Okay. So there's a rhythm to it takes five to seven years. Most of them dissolve within three years. So, okay, we'll, we'll deal with that next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you that we have the perfect uh, Heavenly Father that in our relationship with you is, is grace. And Lord, we're just so, so grateful that you're for us, that there's nothing we can do that you 
that you would love us more and there's nothing we can do that you would love us less. And Lord, we're grateful for that. And yet, Lord, we're also grateful for the truth that your spirit speaks into our heart through the word of God, through pastors, through Bible teachings, through, through different av- avenues. Lord, we want to walk in a way that will honor and glorify you in every single area. And Lord, my heart knows, my heart knows that there's families here today that are struggling with boundaries. And God, I pray that your spirit will give them clarity, that you will give them a spirit of power, not of timidity, that you'll give them a a spirit of clarity, not fogginess and blurred lines, that you will give them clarity in what they're to do and how they're to do it. And Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said...